Hi, everybody. Welcome to the December 6, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Gazzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. We're back after a week break for uh, Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving holiday. We hope you enjoyed uh, our uh, Time Machine Marathon. If you missed any of those, uh, trips back to 1917, 1960, 1923, 1968, and my personal favorite, 1876, they're all on our website, cpt12.org, so be sure to check them out. For right now, let's get a quick take on presidential candidate Michael Bloomberg hosting a gun violence town hall in Aurora this week with survivors of the Aurora theater shooting. Patty Calhoun from Westward uh, with Michael Bloomberg. Uh, usually we're not going to get a whole lot of visitors of the presidential candidates this time of year to Colorado, but with his focus on gun violence, Perhaps we're going to see a lot more Michael Bloomberg. What do you think? Well, we're already seeing a lot of Michael Bloomberg on television with his ads, which I think are pretty effective. No, I'm sure we'll see him again and again. He was involved in the red flag. He gave big donations to Jason Crow when he was elected in the same place where um, Bloomberg was yesterday. So we're going to be seeing and hearing a lot of them, and I think the guns will be the major focus in this state. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Great to have you back. David, what do you think of Bloomberg's tactic? Pretty predictable? Well, he owns the Colorado legislature, so if you're a billionaire, why not go out and visit some of your properties? <laughs> you know, this his, is why we miss you, David. We're his, so glad his, his Praetorian Guard uh, has more people in it than the total lo- sheriffs and police officers and deputies and everybody else in a lot of Colorado counties. And he would make a, uh, a good statement uh, in support of what he supposedly favors if he would say I'm going to limit them to having only seven rounds in your ma- their magazines because that's what he has been trying to impose on the American public uh, in general and since you've got ten guys around you if they only have seven rounds you still got seventy rounds which still puts you way ahead of the poor individual citizen who he wants to limit to only seven. Ed Seeler from the Denver Business Journal uh, great to have you back as well Ed uh, what do you think of Michael Bloomberg's stance and if he's Playing that a lot in Colorado, is that going to affect politics uh, with other races and other candidates in Colorado? You know, I don't know. I think I think he means it too. And in fact, I'm not convinced yet that Michael Bloomberg is in this race to win it. This seems to me a little bit more of the Tom Tancredo 2008 presidential run when he's going to get into this and use use his finances unlike Tancredo, but get into this um, and say, here's an issue you're not talking about. Everyone's talking about environmental concerns. Everyone's talking about health care. You're all talking about the president. But you're not talking about gun control. This is my issue. I'm going to spend a lot of money to make sure that gun control goes high up on the platform of whoever wins this race. To me, this is an event that shows uh, more of a focus on that than, hey, I want to really talk about all the issues affecting Coloradans. And rounding out the panel, Ratings Gold, Joey Bunch, from De- uh, Deputy Managing Editor at Colorado Politics. Uh, Joey, uh, is Colorado still the, the key place for somebody like Bloomberg to have a uh, gun control town hall? Well, if you'd asked me this maybe a year ago, two years ago, I would have said absolutely. Now I don't know. You remember Michael Bloomberg gave a million dollars to Michael Johnston, and that campaign went nowhere talking about guns. But I will say this, you know, he is tied with Michael Bennett. They both held one event in Colorado in the last year. <laughs> so, um, you know, give them that. Um, I don't know. You know, this is more sound than fury in the Democratic presidential race as the party tries to find its soul. So... I don't know if guns are at the soul of the Democratic Party anymore. This seems like an issue that would have been more effective in an earlier time. 
Just before the Thanksgiving holiday, RTD General Manager Dave Genova submitted his resignation. The RTD board is now seeking an interim GM to run the agency that is facing a variety of challenges, including a labor shortage and shrinking ridership. Uh, Patty, this came as somewhat of a surprise because only a few days before, Genova gave no signs of resigning the position. And then the Friday before Thanksgiving, often known as where you want to dump a lot of news that you don't want covered, we see the resignation. What did you think when you saw it? Well, it's a thankless task running RTD, there's no question. And especially running RTD right now with that board, which had not shown a lot of foresight, had gotten us in that weird little Medal of Honor museum tiff. And... RTD faces huge challenges, many of which he inherited. I mean, the problem with that the deals were made on the late, on how much the drivers were going to be paid dates back, the money's short. But the lack of ridership is really a concern right now because if the public is not taking public transportation, why do we have it? So I'm sure David will have some public-private partnership suggestions, but we're late on still on a lot of the light rail lines. People are still getting madder and madder in the areas that were promised them. I cannot imagine who is going to want to take this job when he leaves on January 20th. Uh, David, Pat brings up a lot of good points, but one of them I want to hit on and ask you, what power does the new GM have to really change things at RTD? Is it something that really has to come from the board, or can a new GM really instill some changes in some of the bigger problems they're facing? Well, good good chief executives in, in anything are often able to convince the board to go along with, with what they want to do. Um, you know, it, this is another example of, of RTD's problem is they, they can't hire people. You know, they, just, they don't pay enough for, for how tough the job is and all the overtime you have to work. Uh, and they have their, their death spiral problem, which they greatly aggravated uh, with light rail huge amount of construction costs that's eating up money they could have spent to improve bus service in, in a much more efficient way for, for ridership. But I would say good for them uh, for cutting the fares in, in their proposed plan to try to increase ridership. It, it's a risky move, but when you're in a death spiral, you, you try novel treatments, and, and maybe this will work. Ed, it feels to me that Denver is at somewhat of a transportation crossroads, and not for the first time, but you have headlines today about bike lanes being extended on Broadway. Uh, people talk about the gridlock only really worsening the last uh, year or so. And then you have these kind of problems at RTD. Does this next GM, uh, is there even a, a greater onus on him or her to solve bigger problems facing not only RTD, but really the city? Well, it, it, RTD's job isn't to solve the city's problems. RTD's job isn't to work with the bike lanes. In fact, in many ways, the bike lanes are taking ridership away that might traditionally have gone to RTD. I think the next person's job is to figure out how to instill confidence in the public uh, to ride RTD. Um, I think you you see that some lines are actually doing very well. The A line out to the airport uh, is doing very well because people don't want to have to pay an arm and a leg to park out there and get out there, uh, and a lot of the workers ride out there. I think RTD's problem is where you have more options. I mean, you know, 
you look at what it's done to build out into the southeast corridor in the Lone Tree area, at the behest in many ways of city leaders and business leaders there saying, we want to be able to attract people from across the city to work here uh, and to take RTD down there. But yet people who live in Lone Tree see other options, especially when you're already having intermittent uh, problems with getting trains in on time. And they're about to come up with a plan next week that's going to suggest more permanent cuts. They call them temporary. Let's see exactly how temporary they are. So I don't know. I think the next RTD uh, leader has to find a way to make people trust that when they get on that train, when they get on that bus, it's going to get them where they need in the most efficient manner possible. And I don't think RTD has successfully made that argument to the public that this is better than driving your car, even as gridlock continues to grow. And it's a great point. I'm one of those folks that lives near Lone Tree in Highlands Ranch. I could uh, drive in my big commute all the way down here to Five Points is 40 minutes, or I can pay $5 one way and sit on the train for an hour and a half. I drive. So I get your point. It's excellently made. Uh, Joey, uh, it, it seems that this uh, GM is going to be already having a tough task, and RTD facing another. They're, they're going to have to shop long and hard to finding the right person. Are they going to have to really go pretty much outside the box, maybe somebody pretty surprising, uh, not somebody from a, you know, just another big city to fill this role? Yeah, I think absolutely. You know, they're going to be looking for somebody forward-thinking, an innovator, because they're a bigger there are bigger political issues at play here. You know, Governor Jared Polis wants us to move to leaner, greener transportation, which is going to include mass transit, which could be good for RTD if that spirit takes hold. But with the failures of RTD, it makes it harder and harder to make that case. You know, I've been in Colorado now 19 years, you know, and you'd think I'd lose this accent at some point, but <laughs> it's not going to happen. But RTD has always been a bucket with a hole in the bottom, or no bottom at all sometimes, and that's what this feels like. You know, I'm ready to see DIA and RTD be A-OK, and that just never seems to happen. (laughs) You wonder why we call them ratings gold, and it's something like that. Uh, uh, Well done, especially with the initials, Joey. The Finance Committee of, Denver, of the Denver City Council has approved a measure that would enact a 10-cent fee on plastic and paper bags at grocery stores in Denver. The proposal will now go to the full council for consideration. David, uh, the council has considered something like this before, and it failed. But do you think the council, as it's currently formed, will pass this proposal? Um, yes, since the, the Bolsheviks have seemed to have a majority compared to the, the prior socialist majority. Uh, <laughs> it's anti-environmental, if you actually care about the environmental, that this is, is virtue signaling, let's control people's lives, put the heavy hand of government down on them a little bit more, but you can't say it's for the benefit of the environment. There's definitely a problem of, of plastic waste in the Pacific Ocean, but that comes overwhelmingly from, from China, uh, East Asia, and East Africa, you know, if you use a plastic bag in Denver, it's not going to be shipped out to Los Angeles and then dumped in the ocean. It's going to be put in a landfill here in the Colorado area, where having been a lawyer for the Colorado Department of, of Public Health and the Environment, is now called, on the landfill side, I have high confidence that those regulators there uh, force landfill companies to produce very high-quality stable landfills that don't leak into the groundwater uh, and that are an appropriate repository uh, for solid waste. And even if that weren't true, the data show that the total life cycle environmental impact of these eco, I am so avocado toast, uh, Greta Thunbergish cloth bags 
you would have to use that 400 times instead of a plastic bag before the environmental harm you inflict by using your Greta bag is less than the cost, the environmental imposition of hundreds of plastic bags. We're only in our third issue. We've already heard Praetorian Guard and Avocado Toast. It's going to be, this is, it turned out to be a great show. Well done, uh, David. Uh, Ed, how is the business community reacting to this proposal in Denver? Well, it's generally okay with it, actually. This is an uh, interesting proposal in that uh, of the 10 cents uh, for the bag fee, 4 cents would go back to the grocery stores to essentially hold them harmless. It'll, that'll cover their costs of, uh, of doing this and of all the reporting that goes with this. So it's, it's less of a... Um, business issue than a personal uh, liberty issue, I think, is what it's going to be going forward. I think we're going to see people complain about this. I am surprised uh, on that level that this is being pitched as such an environmental issue, yet there is actually an exemption in this law for people who are on SNAP, uh, public assistance in buying food, uh, that they can get all the plastic bags they want. And I'm just curious, especially as we look to increase public benefits, whether it be in health care or housing or other areas, if that is really going to help the environment, if we are setting two standards, uh, saying, you know what, it is awful what we're doing in the environment, but if you're poor, go ahead. I mean, maybe we should allow them to litter or dump waste wherever they'd like to, because uh, that could be costly to them if we don't. So I, I don't know. It's, I, I think this is going to proceed. I don't think you're going to see quite the, the wailing that you saw uh, on the minimum wage increase from the business community. Uh, but I do question whether they're going to achieve their purposes if they're carving out a large number of people uh, from, uh, from following the law. Joey, do you think other cities in the metro area, Aurora, Lakewood, and larger cities like that, are waiting to see what Denver does? Uh, they may be waiting, but I don't think they'll do it after they see what Denver does. You know, this is a, you know, it's an example of Democratic overreach. This could be threatening to Democrats. You know, the rest of the state can say, well, look, look what they're doing in Denver. You know, they're decriminalizing magic marijuana, uh, magic mushrooms, and they're putting taxes on your grocery bags. But, you know, we've got to do it. If Denver wants to be a progressive city in the league with San Francisco and Portland, Oregon, then this is the path they take. You know, we'll never get to paper straws and butterfly-powered monorails unless we do this. So this is one step in the, in the progress. Patty, if uh, all the funds in these, gar- these uh, plastic bags and paper bags go to increase snow removal, do you think it will have a, a greater popularity? Uh, probably. Probably. I will say this. So SNAP is getting cut, so that's the thing. We're not going to give those free plastic bags to so many people. You wonder about newspaper bags, will that be next, or newspapers are just going to die on their own, so we're not going to have to worry about wrapping them. What happens with the little plastic bags you get in the produce department? I haven't seen that addressed. This makes me think of the cat declawing bill that the last city council took up. It's really one, David's right, if you look at the research, that these plastic bags do not really save energy. And Ed's right that it's also a weirdly classist bill with that exemption for people on SNAP. But I guess if Trump takes away all the SNAP, then we're not going to need to worry about that level. (laughs) Our own Ed Sealever from the Denver Business Journal reported this week that the paid family medical leave program is estimated to cost between $1.1 and $2.2 billion a year. 
The estimates also include a portion that would need to be paid by employees or employers. And there's a lot to unpack here. You wrote about it. What do we need to know? What we need to know is that the uh, fifth attempt to pass this bill in the last six years died at the legislature this year, largely over concerns about its costs. So one of the things they did in putting together a task force to look into it was to require an actuarial study to show exactly what the cost would be. Here the actual actuarial uh, study has come back with a range of estimates because the, the task force hasn't given any estimates on what requirements they want from this leave program yet. But all of the estimates that have been put forward by the actuary, who was hired by the state, are higher than we have discussed in the past. In fact, $2.2 billion is more than twice the price tag that was assumed last year. The question now is, how do you proceed if you are a proponent of this? I think one way is to say, look, we've got it now. We know that if we put in something that is... Uh, uh, that is going to cover every employee in the state, then we're going to be able to pay for it because now we know exactly how much we have to charge and you don't have to worry about this going insolvent. On the other hand, there are going to be people who are going to look at this and say, whoa, that's a lot of money. And not only is it $2.2 billion, but we should be talking to that they estimate premiums. This is the cost that will be divided between employee and employer. Or really, it's all going to be played by the employee because even if it's divided, the employer is going to take away money from elsewhere in their uh, labor budget. Uh, it will be between um, uh, and 1.1% to start. Nobody has talked about going over 1% of an employee's paycheck in order to establish this system yet. That's going to have to be brought up now. I think the, uh, and then I'll stop here, but I think the other thing that is interesting is that a couple of months ago, Governor Polis asked this committee, majority of which were appointed by himself and other Democrats, to consider not establishing this giant state program we're talking about, but an employer mandate, much like we do with workers' compensation. And they say, here are the absolute minimum requirements. You have to go out and get this insurance now. The committee summarily said no to that. I think you're going to see this price tag come back, and I'm going to think you're going to see Governor Polis re-request that, if not to this committee, then to the legislators saying, you know what, my idea might be a little better because we don't need $2.2 billion in infrastructure to do this. Joey, a billion here, a billion there. Sooner or later, you're talking about real money. Uh, does this study kill the plan? I don't know if it kills it or not, but it's just another, you know, the third in a series of big promises that the Democrats have made that have come in to be way more expensive than they were sold to us as. You know, Polis, we don't know if Polis is going to be able to continue to pay for, for full-day kindergarten because it cost a lot more than he said it would. The public option, we learned this week, is going to cost a lot more than they said it was. Pretty soon you're going to be breaking the budget if these promises wind up costing a lot more than, uh, than what we would expected. And I didn't know that Ed was going to be here, and I'd already intended to say another excellent piece of reporting. <laughs> Ed Sealover is one of the best reporters in the state, if not the best reporter. He takes the complicated and boring and turns it into understandable and compelling. So congratulations, my friend. Couldn't say it better myself. Well said, Joey. Uh, Patty, is this going to be the right uh, priority for Democrats to keep fighting for next uh, year, especially in an election year? I think they're going to get a lot of blowback, not necessarily from big business, because they're going to figure out how to be able to juggle it. But you think about the small businesses that right now are screaming over the pounds, uh, over what's happened with property taxes because of the Gallagher Amendment. They're they're getting hit. The minimum wage, especially restaurants, a lot of those places are really feeling like people aren't listening to them. And now these increased costs, and they're looking at maybe a recession on the way, or at least definitely a flattening out economy. So I think the legislature is going to hear plenty from businesses. And the, the mandate sounds like a much more reasonable 
project for them to go that way instead of this draconian and very expensive plan. David, was the study an early Christmas present for Colorado Republicans? No. Uh, if, if people taking your stuff is considered a Christmas present. <laughs> we, we know from back to the New Deal and for that, yeah, all the New Deal, the Great Society, everything from there to the present, all government estimates of how much new welfare programs are going to cost almost always come in low, even when they're, they're done sincerely and not with cheating in the numbers. They're, uh, it always ends up costing much, much, much more. This is, if, if you're an employee or a worker or independent, uh, your own business, the, government takes a, the Colorado state government takes a certain amount of your wages every paycheck in income taxes. This would increase how much the government takes, the Colorado state government takes from you, by about 25%. That's, that's a lot of money. That's a big tax increase. Now, whether you think that's a, and the, you know, the point of taxes is we take from the people who earn it and give it to other people as the government decides to do. Something of that importance is supposed to be voted on by Colorado taxpayers pursuant to our Colorado Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. But the plan in the legislature is say, oh, no, it's not a tax. All these billions we're taking from you, that's a fee. A fee for what? A fee uh, so we take it from you and give it to somebody else. And that's the service we just provided for you. That is sleazy and immoral. And whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea, it should be something the voters of Colorado get a chance to decide on. Let's get a quick take on this last one. Representative Ken Buck, who also chairs the Colorado Republican Party, argued on Wednesday that every president, except President William Harrison, would have met the standard for impeachment at some point in their administration. And for our non-history folks out there, we should remind the folks that the only way William Harrison got out of this is because he died 32 days into his tenure from, I think, uh, pneumonia or sepsis. Yes, pneumonia. So, uh, uh, Joey, uh, just a quick take on this one. Um, what does more does Kemba get anything more than his 15 seconds of Twitterverse popularity from the statement? Oh, well, he gets me thinking he's crazy. You know, <laughs> one of the things that he said was that, uh, you know, JFK's brother exploited his mistress, this East German spy who. But I looked it up. The same woman allegedly gave Gerald Ford oral sex when he was on the Warren Commission to, <laughs> to throw the whole thing. I don't know which conspiracy theory I'm supposed to believe, but if Ken Buck is going to read that into the congressional record, I want him to investigate and get back to us. Let me tell you something about politics, Dizzuti. When you can't say something smart, just say something. My whole career proves that's true. And that's what Ken Buck has done here. Ken, as they would say in your Weld County, that dog don't hunt. Patty, I, I can't remember where I've seen this before, where there's, there's one party calling for an impeachment of president, and the other party says that there's nothing there. Oh, yeah, 25 years ago. This is an amazing, another great Hollywood reboot. What do you take from Ken Buck's comment? I would say that he's crazy, and I'd never heard about the Jerry, Gerald Ford. I'm going to be Googling that as soon as I'm out of here. But, yes, he could have just shut up on this. That's what I would say. You do not need to say anything. We have not seen anything a lot of representatives covering themselves with glory. Uh, David, you hear uh, presidential history usually is, uh, is uh, done well in the, in the congressional record. I'm not sure if it was uh, done well this time. What did you take away from it? Well, it's not in the congressional record committee. That, that's for the floor of the House and not for committee reports. Well um, the, he was certainly historically right, 
that President Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, used the IRS against his political enemies. He's right that Lyndon Johnson used uh, wiretapped Barry Goldwater's presidential campaign. And Buck's point is, you know, they got away with that. Well, the reason they got away with it was because they weren't caught at the time. And Richard Nixon had the misfortune to be caught in his own, similar as his defenders often said, hey, I'm not the first one who did this. And he was absolutely right. He wasn't the first one who tried to illegally uh, wiretap his political opponents. And he wasn't the first one to use the Internal Revenue Service against his political opponents. And Nixon was the one who got caught and got impeached for it. Absolutely, Franklin Roosevelt and, and Johnson should have been impeached for that. And so, so should Obama for much greater abuse of the IRS against his political opponents. It's top, time to stop giving the next criminal who gets caught a pass because pre previous criminals got away with it. <laughs> uh, uh, Ed, I'll leave it to you. I think, uh, well, you can make your points like David did about other presidents. I'm not sure Abraham Lincoln and George Washington belong in the same conversation, but uh, your final word on this. Um, I will say this. I found it interesting the New York Times reported that 11 presidents have had impeachment uh, proceedings at least brought into committee against them. And you said this reminded you of Bill Clinton. Well, it also reminds me of George W. Bush and Barack Obama. And in fact, one of the great things in the story was that Ronald Reagan had impeachment uh, filed against him, though it was never even brought to a committee hearing. Um, I think Buck is right on this, that this is a tool we are going to see used increasingly in the future. And um, where that goes, we'll see. It is time for a very favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off our condensed edition. The snow removal in many areas, and especially the city, for not sticking to its guns when it said it had done a good job and de-icer wouldn't have helped. And then on Monday, reversing course and saying, we'll put down de-icer. Fortunately, the sun came out the same day. David. The two worst uh, college campuses in our state for free speech, according to the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education, are Adams State and Fort Lewis. Ed. I get there are a lot of important things going on, including impeachment, but the fact that the Chinese treatment of Uyghurs and putting them into these camps, uh, which is very reminiscent of Nazi tactics, is not risen to an international crisis, that is a disgrace that we should all be thinking about. Here, here. Joey. The Republican Party for turning on Chick-fil-A, as I said in my Thursday Insights column, my chicken sandwich is unaffiliated. <laughs> <laughs> Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty. Great holiday lights displays downtown. The Mile High Tree outside the DCPA is really fun. And the night lights Denver on the DNF Tower. So if you're watching this year, you're not at the Parade of Lights, but get out and see that. David. One of the greatest liquor stores in the entire history of the Rocky Mountains, Liquor Mart in Boulder, will be closing, sadly, after 53 years. Ed. On Monday, George Gassis and Jeff Johnson are going to open, grow, and gather. It's not just a restaurant in Englewood. It's also a hydroponic farm, a retail market for fresh food, an event space, and a coffee shop. This is how you use space in an increasingly crowded restaurant market, and it's going to be good for the community. Joey. Nobody likes barking at Jared Polis more than me, but tomorrow, December 7th, 3.30 at the governor's mansion at the carriage house, they're having a pet adoption. Every mutt deserves a day with the governor. I completely agree. That's well said. Uh, now, I want to say something nice about you, our viewers. I've had the chance to see many of you over the holiday, and I just simply wanted to thank all of you for being such loyal viewers and for making this show possible. We do not take for granted the privilege of sharing our conversation with all of you, and I just want to be sure that all you knew you were appreciated. And finally, it is our final reminder that next Tuesday is Colorado Gives Day. You count on us for great programming like Colorado Inside Out. Can we count on you for your support for Colorado Gives Day? Go to cpt12.org for more details. 
That's all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everyone here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dazzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night. Thank you.